Hi everyone, welcome to Dinosaur's History. This week, 80 years ago, it was all happening. The Dunkirk evacuation was in full swing. The so-called miracle of Dunkirk, when British naval vessels and small ships from all across southern and eastern England gathered to lift an entrapped British and French army off the North French coast around the port of Dunkirk. There's all this week. We've been running podcasts about it. We've had Josh Levine talking about Dunkirk. He was the historical advisor to the recent Christopher Nolan film. We've had Guy Bowman talking about a group of Indian Muslim soldiers who found themselves caught up in the evacuation. And today we're going to reprise an old episode from a couple of years ago on this podcast when I accepted the invitation of the wonderful Ian Gilbert, who is in charge of the Little Ships Association. He's one of the key people keeping the memory of Dunkirk alive and keeping the ships that took part in that evacuation, keeping them afloat and with good owners and in good condition. I accepted an invitation. I went down to the River Thames at Windsor and we went for a little trip on some of the little ships. And I met some veterans as well. I met Edward Oates, who you're going to hear from, William Matthews, Stanley Chapel, Arthur Taylor. Sadly, William and Arthur are now deceased. It was only a couple of years ago that I was lucky enough to meet them and hear their stories. In this episode, you'll hear from all of those people, you'll hear memories of what it was like on the beach and what it was like coming back in the little ships 80 years ago. Sadly, every five years, all the little ships that are still able to go back to Dunkirk, and I've made that journey twice with them now. We're meant to do it again this year, but it's been rescheduled for next year. History Hit will be there. We'll be filming, we'll be podcasting, we'll be live streaming, we'll be on drones, we'll be doing the whole thing. So look forward to doing that. If you like listening to these back episodes of the podcast, they're only available on History Hit TV. It's like Netflix for history. There's hundreds of documentaries, but there's also lots of back episodes of the podcast exclusively available there. We really appreciate your support. It's what keeps us all going. You guys are subscribing to History Hit and you're making it possible for us to go on making all this content and we're getting better and more ambitious all the time. If you use the code POD1, P-O-D-1, you get a month for free and then you get one month for just one pound, euro or dollar. We've got a new film up about Dunkirk. We've got a film about the fall of France coming. We've got stuff about the Titanic coming and about global pandemics. We're in full flow, even though we're operating under lockdown conditions. But thank you to everyone for your support. Enjoy this episode about the little ships and the men they rescued. I'm so lucky to be sat here now. I think it's fantastic to see this lovely, smiling Berkshire countryside with the, the Thames so placid and the cerulean sky. I'm so, so lucky. Did you think you'd be, you'd be seeing this ever again when you were on the beaches of Dunkirk back in 1940? Uh, there are many occasions... In the First World War, in the Second World War, when I didn't think I might live the next second, let alone 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, I thought I was highly likely not to live very long. I've seen the bombs coming down like pebbles out of the sky from Stukas diving on us and the next second I thought this one's coming and then it would veer off and my f f mouth would be full of f full of uh, um, tingling sensation 
by the enzymes that were floating around my body. And uh, I really thought I wasn't going to live very long. And that has been replicated on many occasions in that war. So I'm so, so lucky, so lucky when so many of my friends didn't make it. And uh, How did you come to be in Dunkirk? Did you have to walk back there? My battery, El Neri battery, was supporting the 3rd Division of Brigadier Montgomery, who later, uh, who later led the first battle of the Second World War for us to win. Uh, at, uh, uh, and... Uh, uh, we retreated and I remember looking up into the sky and seeing the whole German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, thousands and thousands of planes droning on and they were so lucky not to pay us any any attention. They were going off to bomb Dunkirk and the, 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 the ports, the French ports, and so we retreated, yes. And uh, we, um, to cut a long story short, very, very short, we finished up on a hilltop called Monde Shah, which was 50 or 60 miles away from uh, uh, east of Dunkirk. And we had one gun left. I wasn't a gunner in those days. I was a, I was gunner, gunnery officer's assistant. But I watched our last gun firing over open sights at the Germans who were down below, about a thousand yards away, I should say. And um, and then the order came that we were to destroy our destroy our guns and make our way to Dunkirk where the Navy would pick us up. So our last gun was destroyed by putting a shell, a shell up the breech and one down the muzzle and then and detonating it and blew the gun up. And then we come under very heavy fire and I remember getting up onto the main road and seeing a truck come by and Trevor Luff, a friend of mine, was said jump, and I jumped onto to it, and that was the last road out before being sealed off by the German army, and we made our our way until some measurements decided to pay us attention, and they came strafing the road and the road was blocked up with uh, refugees and of all kinds and sorts of descriptions and we just dived into the ditches and um, when they'd gone uh, we were left walking but then a section of of um, a, a section of French cavalry came by and they were leading quite a lot of horses. And being an ex-Royal uh, Horse Tillery man, I, I 
signalled, could I, could I ride one of the horses? And they said yes. So I, I jumped on a horse and my friend Bert Reed jumped on a, a horse as well and uh, we rode along with the uh, cavalry for about 20 miles, I suppose. And then they decided to switch off and go south and we wanted to go continue going west and northwest so we said thanks very much and handed back the reins and we were left walking but then I noticed there was, there was a nice uh, motorbike in a courtyard and uh, I looked into there was petrol in the tank so I took the carburetor and started out and it worked perfectly so I said jump on the pillion Bert and then we rode on for quite some time on this motorbike but then we came across a crossroads that was coming under heavy enemy fire but it was a bit intermittent but I didn't like the look of, of of crossing that crossroads because I'd read I'd read a book uh, uh, where people had to do that sort of thing and it, it didn't end very nicely so at any rate I looked in the carburetor and it was nearly empty so I said to Bert we'll have to walk on from now and so we did we went across the open fields and I had a, a map which was a print out of the Daily Mirror. And we did a bit of orienteering with this. And eventually we came to Dunkirk, which was in the evening. And you, you didn't need a map to get to Dunkirk because the columns of smoke were going sky high. And it was just a question of following that. And uh, by, by the time we got into Dunkirk, all the bombing had stopped because it was night time. And we made our way down onto the beach. And there we saw hundreds of bodies laying out with, with, um, uh, with uh, uh, sh blankets over them. So I really thought surely they aren't all dead and then suddenly uh, one, one of the blankets was pulled back and a voice said what's the time mate it was uh, some members of the guards brigade and, and they were having a, a good old doze uh, so we walked on and eventually came to the, the dunes the next day <clears throat> it was absolutely we tried to, to, there were people queuing into queues to be taken off, but we were very unlucky. We couldn't get out, couldn't, couldn't be taken off. And it beca became more hazardous by the hour because um, the debris was so dense that uh, motor boats who had propellers daren't come in or the propellers would get enmeshed in the rubbish that was littering the surface of the sea 
So I said, I said to, uh, I said to my friend, I said, I said, uh, I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to build a raft to get to to ferry us out beyond this uh, hundred or two hundred yards of rubbish, and then we'll get picked up. <clears throat> so he said, okay. So we set to work and we built a raft and nobody bothered to say, what are you doing or anything? And the problem was we didn't have nails or a hammer. So most of it we had to tie, tie it together, tie them together with ropes that we, ropes that we found lying around. So we built this raft. And then we found it was so heavy we couldn't push it for love and money. And it was about three or four yards uh, off the beach, off the water. So I said, so I looked around and I saw under the, uh, under the sea wall was a, um, was a Brengan carrier. So I, it was about 250 yards away. So I went over to it, jumped in, pressed the key and it bursted the life right away, no problem. So I drove it back around, positioned it in front of the raft, we tied it on and I said, now, I said, I said when, I, when I go out, give me the yell when it's floating and, uh, and I'll cut, cut the engine. So I drove the brown gun carrier into the water and until I couldn't drive it any further, and it was, the water it went on for a long time, um, even though it was underwater, which was amazing, really. But uh, when it finally stopped, and, and I looked around, the, the, the raft was floating beautifully. So we cut it, cut it free, and we put all our put our clothes onto the raft, and then we pushed it out through the debris and paddled it out. Oh, I should say three or four hundred yards until we were clear of all the rubbish. But by that time, the water, be, the wind had been getting up and a swell began to break and uh, the raft being built out of spars with rope they all became loose and gradually they floated away and we were left swimming in the water and I swam around and the place was covered with oil from sunken ships and from their tanks and then the next thing I knew there was a, a, a big motorboat had pulled in and they were pulling me into the, into the boat they pulled me into the boat and as soon as I was into the boat they shot off out to a large mother boat that had been anchored about uh, about a kilometre off out of range of the Messerschmitts and the, and the Stukas that were bombing it at the time and uh, I walked up the uh, slanting uh, bridge uh, the walkway onto the ship and somebody gave me an overcoat and uh, that was how I left Dunkirk 
What was it like getting home? Brilliant. It was marvellous. I, 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 at a rate, uh, I, uh, I was, I, I hadn't had any food for some time because uh, uh, food was a bit scarce to come by on, <laughs> and uh, so I, 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 uh, I uh, sort of uh, uh, sat down, and they brought me a lovely mug of navy cocoa and that was one of the best drinks I've ever had in my life it was gorgeous I really was like nectar and then the next thing I knew was somebody saying pull on this rope that was pulling the anchors up and pulling the boats on on because they they were fearing of being sunk any moment by by the planes coming over so that's how I left Dunkirk and of course I went to sleep and the next thing I knew was it was it Margate wasn't it yeah at Margate not Ramsgate Margate and what's your name Edward Oates how old are you sir 97 and what were you doing in in uh, May and June of 1940 May and June wait for a boat I think <laughs> So you were with the BF. What unit were you in? I was in the 9th Army Field Workshop, ROC. And how long were you waiting in that perimeter before you got off the beach? It was five or six days, I think it was. I don't remember just exactly how long. So we were all we had to do was looking for food. And what do you remember about those days? Not a lot. The, I've got all the photographs, so I, I, I see the photographs and that brings some of it back. Were you on the mole waiting to get evacuated or were you on the beach? On the beach at Bray Dunes and then we walked from Bray Dunes into Dunkirk eventually after a few days when we weren't getting away. And was it well organised or were things getting a little ragged by that stage? I don't know. I was so worried as far as I got off. And so in the end, did you, did you get off on a naval ship or one of the little ships? One of the little ships, yes. So did you, you wade it out to sea or how did it work? No, well, we walked into Dunkirk and got on, on the docks. So I didn't have to go in, wade into the sea. We did wade into the sea before. We never managed to get on anything. So we had to come back to the beach, but eventually, um, when we got into Dunkirk, we got on the boat. But I tell you what, my boots polished up ever so shiny because they'd been in the seawater, <laughs> thoroughly wet for days. And how many of you were on one of these little boats? I don't know. Was it packed? Fairly, yes. He, he took as many as he could. Did you think, this is it, we must have lost the war, or did you think you'd be back in Europe soon to take on Hitler? I didn't think anything about it. I was worried about getting off. And what was it like getting home? Oh, it was all right. You must have been happy, though, seeing Kent. Yeah, it was happy enough, yeah. Well, on the crossing, was there any danger from German aircraft or, or any of that? No, I was asleep. 
And when I woke up, it was grey, misty dawn, and we finished up in Folkestone. And that's all I remember of it. What did you do for the rest of the war? In the Middle East. I was in army workshops, field workshops. What does it mean coming back here, seeing all these boats alongside today? Do, do you love coming back and, and seeing these and meeting up with some of your old comrades? Yeah, if I see any of them, but there are not many of them left now. <laughs> I think there's only me and George in our Dunkirk club that we're in. All the others are supporters or hangers-on. <laughs> so what's your name, sir? William Matthews, Bill for France. Well, Bill, if I may, uh, what were you what were you doing at Dunkirk? Were you an infantryman? Infantryman. I was setting up in the sand hills. We come off the beach, went back in the sand hills at the side of the beach for safety. And w why was that? Was it artillery or, or German air attacks that were the problem? It was the Stukas, and uh, then they could see us. So I, I had a stomach like a little white billiard ball and uh, but Nobby Clark beside me said, I told you not to upset him, he said, and they rocket down, they come straight down and then as they turn, so they machine gun the beach. But there's been worse things than when, when we got there, I come from Brussels to get down there. And while we were in Brussels, we found some papers. If you waved them to somebody, they would take you prisoner, lay down your arms, and you go back. Because all the regiments had moved back, but they left a couple of platoons of guys to keep an eye on the people down there and report back and the Warwickshire Regiment there was 88 blokes they went over with them and gave in and our sergeant said any of you lot think of giving in it he said you've got to go through me Anyway, we moved from Brussels across country to get to the seaside. And we found out afterwards that they executed the 88 Warwicks. Yeah, and when we got back home and told them, oh, look, the war is over now. Don't want to worry about things like that. And so it's like we've been striped trousers, isn't it? So what was it like being under German air attack? Was, was Did you feel completely helpless? Yeah, we, we couldn't do anything. I, I had my face in the sand and little, instead of having a stomach, it was like a billion ball. Were you hungry as well and tired? Well, uh, uh, two days we'd been on the road and we had no food. And... Uh, then the Ben McCree, that's an all-a-man steamer, came in. And he came in the groin side. The groin side, the water was deep. But this side, the water went out about a mile. 
and uh, she backed into it. We got a border, and they grabbed you by your equipment and held you and sling you aboard. I woke up in Folkestone, and uh, I, I don't know where I was. I, I know there were, there were thousands of chaps there, and then big marquee, thousands of new Dixies. I went and got two dinners, and I am. And when I finished those two, I had a couple of puddings and all. And when, that was Saturday night, half past eight. And next minute, somebody's kicking me, and it's a sergeant said on your feet. It was Sunday, half past 12. <laughs> Slept out, out, oh sorry, out on the grass all night. And the regiment had gone down to uh, Somerset. When you were in Dunkirk hiding, how long were you hiding in those sand dunes in Dunkirk waiting for a ride off that beach? Oh, a day and a half. We, we were so disappointed in one, one, one place we come along and we've been told we were going to a place called Dunkirk, so you'll be all right, Seaport. We come round the corner and there was a Normandy ship blazing from stem to stern. We said we were here. We weren't. When we got near it, it, it was brick built. <laughs> it was a hotel. <laughs> So we give that the bounce, and then we still carried on down the road. And, and, and you'd walked all retreating all the way. Were you were you disillusioned? Were you feeling down, or did you keep your spirits up? Oh no, uh, Clark and the rest of them, and honey, they um, come on, math, pick your feet up. And for two days we walked down the outside because we had to get from Brussels. But we didn't know at the time that we were going the wrong way. The Germans had come in the Brussels and they were, they were, we was in the palace. And a Frenchman come over, he said that the, the, the Germans are coming through there. So we said, Let's get out of it then. <laughs> There's no no idea. They had tanks. There was 31 of us, and there was big tanks. And I carried an anti-tank rifle. Uh, bullets that long. And I'm supposed to lay out in the middle of the road and as the tank comes towards me, line him up and then fire at him. That, that's the, the point of the gun. It wouldn't, there's a, a boat like this laying on its side, smoking all over everywhere. So the, the CRE said, sink that bloody thing. And he fired. They've ricocheted off. It's bounced off. <laughs> yeah. He said, give me the gun. And he slung it. And at that moment, 
are st standing by Captain Ricketts and he gave there's a big bang, a couple of big bangs near us and he went down and I looked at him when I went down he got a wicked wound out here so I grabbed him and told the other blokes and they hauled him on his feet and he got dirt all tufts of grass there. and we can only imagine that it was a, a and, well, we don't know what it was, really. And we took him to um, the base where they got all this. They said, leave him with us. We'll take care of him. And we went back. And then afterwards, when I was at the Star and Garter, went up there to a do. He was standing over there. And I walked over. And he said, don't I know you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm the bloke who, me and the two others are taking us to the hospital and he's you're over. But then everybody moved out. So we didn't know what happened to him. And he was back in England then. And uh, there he was alive. You saved his life. No, I wouldn't say that. Uh, that somebody would have found him. And uh, but what do you remember from those sand dunes? Was the, were there dead and wounded lying around in those sand dunes from the, from the air attacks? Oh, there's quite a lot. Uh, those air attacks, when those stuckers come down, straight down there, and when you look up, you can see the green bomb fall away, and you. Get deeper in the in the. Uh, I wish I was a mole so I could dig a hole or a white billiard, billiard ball down here with the stomach. Cocky said to me, "We've been upset this lot like we have." Because <laughs> then they, once they come out the dive, they machine gun. But they were doing the beach most of the beach. But we was up the shelf part where the long grass was. And was it every man for himself, or were men still obeying their officers and were still the military discipline? Oh, we did what the sergeant said. Captain uh, Lieutenant Brooks Fox was our lieutenant of our platoon. And whenever he did anything, he used to say, the sergeant and I... The sergeant thirty four. We're gonna do so and so. So you whatever the sergeant said, we did it. And how did you get off the beach? The on on the horizon the, the water there's a a long groin and one side of the groin the water went out about six feet all the way out. Big boats couldn't get in. So I had hundreds of little boats coming in. But I didn't fancy wading out of my dress like And uh, you can't run anywhere in the water. So the sergeant said, let's get back in the, on the top of the beach in the sand dunes with the long grass. And when they 
must have seen us. They dropped a couple, but they nowhere near us. And it just, it's just sand goes up in the air, terrific noise. Frightens the daylights out of it, it does. Yeah, you've got a gun like a white billiard ball. And I wish I was a mole. And Lee Carker, he turns around and We've upset him, mate. He said, we've asked for this. <laughs> and then, um, so when did you, well, how, which boat did you eventually manage to get off the beach on? Ben McCree. The Ben McCree. It was an Alamein uh, steamer. There's eight of them. And this was one of them. The plane was a bit noisy, sorry. So can I ask that again, because the plane was a bit noisy. So what, what boat did you get off the beach on? Ben McCree. Ben McCree. And after the war, I wrote to the Isle of Man's first name and said thank you very much. And they sent me a booklet. And first class stabs and all stuff like that. Yeah. So you got off on one of the little the little ships of Dunkirk? Yeah, yeah. Well, you'd say it was a little ship. It, it was big to me. And how were there guys packed in their standing room only? I, I don't know. I started climbing up the side, and then Matlow leaned over, grabbed me by the equipment, heaved me in, and the next one. And I'll... On the deck I went, and uh, I woke up in Folkestone. <laughs> That's all, all I know of the crossing. Uh, we, we'd been on the road like, all the way from Brussels. We, we didn't, there's no food. And uh, everything like that, we just kept going. And the, the sergeant, he kept us going. No, Nobody run or anything like that. Mind you, he used to walk up and down. He, he must have done it twice. <laughs> yes, I did. But Brooke Fox... So he'd walk up and down the unit making sure everyone was... Yeah. And uh, terrible barbers at Monte, Monte Casino. Brooke Fox was the first bloke killed. They, he took a, a, a unit out and uh, walked into a net trap. Yeah, that was brought for, uh, He was a captain then. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day today. <laughs> I will. <laughs> so we're underway now. We're pottering along the River Thames on a nice sunny day in June. It's hard to imagine. You've taken us across the channel, though. I mean, it's a different challenge, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Um, this is uh, proper pleasure boating. Um, a pr present company accepted, of course. Um, no, it's a beautiful day at Windsor, and uh, the water's flat. Uh, completely different to the experience of crossing the channel, um, where uh, in a 26-foot boat, it, uh, well, put it this way, we wouldn't do it for pleasure, probably, uh, only if we needed to. What's interesting is every time one of us moves from one side of the boat to the other, the whole boat moves. So I don't quite know how that works with a load of soldiers on board in rough channel conditions. 
Yeah, indeed. And I don't think anybody would want to cross the channel with a load of soldiers on under any circumstances. Certainly uh, when Firefly was at Dunkirk, um, we had uh, an eyewitness account of the first thing that the skipper did, uh, having loaded the boat up with men, and there was only five or six on board for a shuttle run out to HMS Anthony. First thing he did was level them all up and uh, order them around and get them in the right place because it just makes it incredibly uncomfortable. you lean in and the boat doesn't go in a straight line and it's uh, it's, it's not pleasant. Um, she's very uh, very sensitive to the way she's loaded. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, a bit of a favour to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money makes sense but if you could just do me a favor it's for free go to itunes or wherever you get your podcast if you give it a five star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review purge yourself give it a glowing review i'd really appreciate that it's tough world out there law of the jungle out there and i need all the fire support i can get so that will boost it up the charts it's so tiresome but if you could do it i'd be very very grateful thank you